it's a very dynamic industry. You meet so many from cultures across the world,、uh, and you really see the drivers of our of the economy globally. Welcome to Profiles by Chain.io. I'm Brian Glick, Chain.io's founder and CEO. Over the coming weeks and years, we'll feature the partners and customers who make up the Chain.io network. We'll focus on learning about the individuals within these companies and how they've helped build the organizations that drive our network. Together, we'll learn what drew them to the industry, why they made it such a big part of their lives, and where they see us all going in the future. Today we're going to talk to Mark Ketchum. Mark is vice president of the Americas for Riga Software International. Riga is a transportation management system based in Germany that has hundreds of customers and thousands of users all over the world, and services TMS solutions in 34 different countries. Mark has a really interesting industry perspective as he's a lifetime industry insider who's worked for a number of software companies and really helps us in this episode. Tie what's been going on in the history of the industry from an integration perspective, right up into where we're headed in the future. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Mark! Thanks so much for joining us today. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and why you stayed? Yeah, Brian. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it.、Um... We always somewhat laugh、uh, that I was really born into logistics, and、uh, my father was、uh, worked in IT for Flying Tigers. So as I grew up,、uh, we spent a, a lot of time vacationing and, and flying Flying Tigers airplanes all over, and、uh, had a great time on the weekends、uh, flying in the flight simulators of Tigers. And、uh, of course, he went on after FedEx acquired them to Bax Global, and so. We somewhat have the aviation, logistics, supply chain management、uh, in our blood, so to speak. So,、uh, what made you stick around after、uh, you know you you had the blood the blood requirement to try it? But not everyone stays. What、uh, what made you stay? Yeah, I think when I started, I I had an opportunity with a company called TDNI, which was started to initially in the late '90s start communication between the airlines and freight forwarders and. When I started, I thought there's got to be just a simple software that does all of this. And as naive as I was at that point, I thought this is relatively simple. And as I learned more and more,、uh, it the complexities of the industry really became apparent. And so I really learned it's a very dynamic industry. You meet so many from cultures across the world,、uh, and you really see the drivers of our Of the economy globally, and so the challenging nature of it and how dynamic it is, I'd say, are the are the real reasons I stayed for so many years. So, what do you think is a little bit different for those of us who are in the software space versus operations? Kind of how how does that affect your perspective? You think on the industry? Well, most of my career is spent in in the messaging, value added network, and and. Somewhat high-level application side of things. So,、uh, I made the transition to software primarily because I could finally take all of that I learned on the data side of things and saw them applied in the operational side of things. And so, it was an extension of of the career that I've already、uh, I already had, it, while giving me a completely different perspective and seeing how all those data elements. Were applied in an operational environment, so it became another step 
uh, in that challenging environment to see more of of how uh, this business works. Was there uh, anything that was particularly eye-opening about making that transition? Yeah, I think so. Uh, again, there's a, a level of naivete, I guess, in that when I started, but also when I made the transition of going, hey, you know, it's only data. You know, you need to take it from point A to point B and apply it. And um, as you get into operational environments and see the challenges that forwarders face in meeting their, their shippers' expectations while running a, a smooth and efficient operation, it really brings home uh, the complexities of this industry while also seeing um, the challenges that they face every day. I, uh, I'll share a little story from, from my perspective coming out of IT and, and the first time that I went um, for a, a company I was working for, I went to the Chicago office and we're, you know, installing new computers and, and a network and everything. And I just saw somebody, she was on the phone all day, really, really short conversations and you know, I said, there, I said what, "What's with all these phone calls?" She says, "Oh, I have to call the air, airport every thirty minutes to see if if this freight for this important customer is available, right?" And uh, all of all of my theory about how wonderful IT is and how we're going to fix everything went right out the window the moment I saw that. That's that's kind of what you have on the ground. But I think it uh, having those experiences certainly helps us develop a lot of empathy. Yeah, you certainly do. I, I had a similar experience with a, a forwarder in the UK, and they were doing essentially the same process of eliminating the good to find the bad. And that was really profound in the sense of going, you're spending 90% of your time to identify where you need to apply the rest of your time to when it should exactly be the opposite. And so shaping expectations and providing applications that solve those types of problems is really fulfilling, I think. So I suspect I know the answer based on your background, but uh, who was one of the bigger influences in your career? Um, as I mentioned, I think when we were talking the other day, we uh, being born into the industry and uh, my father certainly is probably the biggest influencer in my career is both professionally and personally. Uh, he's just the type of guy that can sit down, he can program, he can, you know, sculpt something beautiful out of wood or build you a big piece of furniture or, or rebuild a motor. He's just one of those guys that's just good at everything. And uh, so being able to collaborate with him as I started my career and he retired at, at Bax Global. And so we had the opportunity to work together. He is my customer and, and me as a vendor to their company. And so uh, being able to have that collaboration and his influence uh, throughout my life is, has just been a real pleasure and very beneficial, obviously, to me. So um, you know, there's definitely an advantage there when you're able to kind of live it day to day growing up. But um, kind of a question and go a little bit, a little bit off of our agenda here. But one of the, the things that IT people, they say it's engineering, right? And then we get out in the real world and we realize there's some sort of performance art and some sort of soft skills involved. How much of what you guys do when you're implementing with a client do you think is the strict sort of engineering that people think of as software and how much of it is sort of the figuring out how to make it work inside of a particular forwarder? Well, I think there's what you would say the the direct rigors of meeting the 
the need of that specific forwarder, but you're absolutely correct that so many times you're trying to outline a, their business process and then correlate that to the uh, software processes that meet that operational need. So uh, there's a lot of what I would say negotiation, but anytime that you're introducing a new piece of software that affects your operation, if one isn't going to bend, there's going to be a problem because ultimately the software works in a particular way and an operational environment will work a particular way. We're fortunate in that most of our developers come from affording backgrounds. So we work so very hard on making sure that that workflow makes operational sense, but a great deal of time in negotiating and understanding the forwarder's business their uh, process or procedure, their SOPs, uh, their KPIs, and then configuring uh, the specifics of the software to meet that operational need. What do you think um, you really wish you knew at the beginning of your career that, that, you, uh, that you know now that you wish you'd go back in time and tell yourself? Well, one of the things, of course, is is that success compounds. There, I just read a, a, a book recently, and I was reflecting on, boy, I, I really wish I understood that better when I was younger and, and earlier in my career, because ultimately enabling small steps, empowering people, and attempting to influence those people versus arguing. You know, I think when, when we're young, uh, arguing to be right and proving your point isn't really enough. And, and learning that being right isn't enough and building those small steps and, and enabling success of others and getting that consensus really uh, makes those small steps of success that, that compounds into the ultimate su- success, both personally and professionally. No, I very much agree. I think uh, oftentimes the people don't understand the distinction between uh, getting something right and getting it done. Uh, you know, and you can be you can be right in principle, but we all we all have. I think we keep coming back to it. You have to live in a real world, right? And in that real yeah. world, there's a lot of uh, a lot of compromising and a lot of collaboration that has to go on. It certainly does, and and I think it, as we mentioned earlier. Earlier, we're dealing across cultures as well. So people's perception of, of the right way to do something is very different, um, maybe culturally as well as operationally. And finding the means to meet those goals within those parameters is, is always a challenge. And ultimately, communication and, and getting started and progress is, is a way to measure that, that compounding success. So. What do you think some of the challenges are for people who are just getting started in the industry versus those of us who have been around for a little bit longer? Well, just a little bit longer, right? Yeah, just so, a little. Uh, so I think, you know, in comparing when I entered, I kept looking around saying there's got to be something that solves, someone's got to write software that solves this problem. Um, I think that same challenge exists when people enter the market today in, in this industry, because ultimately, how hard can it be? We're, we're delivering freight and is kind of a perspective. And so understanding the, the historical complexities and embracing that and not being overwhelmed by that, I think is a huge challenge. But they also need to take all the ingenuity and things that they've learned and, and the new technologies and, and marry that and merge that to be successful. So you don't, you can't necessarily abandon one for the other, but you have to understand the first before you can deal with the latter. So, yeah, there definitely is a, a view out there amongst some of the, 
sort of startups, you know, whether they be digital forwarders or, or AI software or what have you, that that outside perspective can sort of fix everything that you can kind of just, you know, that we're all, we've all been doing it too long and we, we can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, do you think there's sort of a balance or, or how much, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on, on that newness versus the oldness? Well, I think you nailed it. I think it's a balance. Um, we've seen so many entrants in the market that come in and just say, you just need to quit doing it this way, do it this way and follow this, those, you know, four easy steps to success kind of a thing. And, and you see it fail all the time. Um, we can't abandon everything that has occurred in all the historical, um, hurdles that have been overcome. Uh, yeah, it would be easy to say, let's forget all about CargoWimp or let's forget all about ANSI X12 and, and just do something new and we'll all agree. Uh, so we hear that all the time that, you know, we just need to have one big portal and that'll make everybody's life easier. Uh, and of course it would, but that will never happen because there's commercial issues. There's, you know, all kinds of logistical issues, uh, legal issues. So all of those um both the old and the new really have to be bridged. And until we do that effectively, we really can't make progress. I mean, some of the new disruptors in the market and the challenges that existed, I mean, we thought, you know, in the early 2000s that the integrators were going to run away with the business. And that didn't happen. Um, as we've talked about, the largest freight forwarder in the market is only con in control of a very uh, small part of the global business. So, with so many players involved and so many intermediaries, the only way for us to make progress is to be pushed forward. So, yeah, there's great new technology. You know, your company, our company, others are providing some some great software and technologies to, to help get them into the future. But if you don't really understand uh, the historical references, you really can't make progress that way. I always, uh, and, and I think you even mentioned in our pre-interview that freight's really easy until you have to file drawback, um, <laughs> you know, or, or deal with a deal with a 301 or, or deal with the, you know, uh, import compliance, you know, as a general concept. So, uh, no, I, I certainly hear what you're saying that, uh, you know, those kind of surface level easy shipments are prime for optimization, but the hard stuff's a little different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and for forwarders to succeed in, in this market, they're having to provide more value. Uh, ultimately, the manufacturer, the shipper's expectation is they want that same experiences that they have when they're buying something online and can, can see from the time that they've purchased it to the time that it's on their doorstep. So they want that customer experience, and that's extending into the corporate level. But that obviously is much more difficult when you're dealing with all the intermediaries, customs, and, and the things that we just talked about. But ultimately, the disruptors that are entering the market are pressing the forwarders to, to move forward. So I think that's a very good thing uh, because forwarders don't, that don't adapt and don't embrace the things that, that are coming in the future are going to have a very difficult time as their value decreases uh, in their offering where they're going to have to uh, really embrace that change because ultimately it's going to be e-commerce. They're going to be provide, having to provide things like assemblies and uh, some advanced logistics and provide tracking at, at the SKU level. You know, we can't deal with just pallets or shipments anymore. 
So let's talk about that SKU level thing for a second, because I've been, that's a big bugaboo for me that I, you know, that I think people don't really understand that. Why is that important to maybe people who aren't, aren't out dealing with this every day? Well, I mean, ultimately as, as the, the freight is being shipped, I mean, we're looking at it from a, a logistics provider of, Hey, we're just delivering it. But ultimately the, the people that are placing that on the shelf, they have to maintain those items that are, have a particular amount of shelf life they have a particular amount of inventories, and so they don't care where, where a pallet is. They don't care where a container is. They need to know, you know, that I'm going to have four brown shirts and not 12 green shirts because I'm out of the brown and I have green. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the consumers or those that are selling to the consumers, they want a particular product, and they could care less about, you know, how it's being transported uh, or what it's, what container it's in. Uh, They only care about the commodity that they're looking for. Do you think that's different between sort of big importers and small importers, or is it really sort of universal? I would have to say it's more universal. I think that the emphasis can change somewhat between the two, because I think on, on a large importer, they build more contingencies in. I mean, they have more distribution centers. They they probably have a greater margin of error. But um, ultimately, no one wants to store anything because it's you know a liability. So everybody wants to move things, get it to the consumer, and have it sold, and not sit on a shelf a minute longer or a minute less than they need it. And see if I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to stump you here. But um, one of the things that I that I see is sort of a challenge in you know from my perspective of of talking out to a lot of companies right now is there's so much tech out there and the big companies have you know from a forwarding perspective the big companies have have the rates right and they often have the tech if you are sort of a mid-size forwarder you know, how do you think you, you know, can use whether it's tech or something else? How, how would you differentiate, you know, if you were if you were had to be in one of your customer's shoes as a sort of a midsize forwarder? Well, I think midsize forwarders really have a, an advantage right now because they can be nimble and really add value in different areas of, of their business that a large forwarder have uh, a huge endeavor to make changes operationally because of their global environment or, or what have you. So uh, there's tech out there now that's, that's reasonably inexpensive that can be deployed. And I think for us, we look at providing uh, our application to afford to be the heartbeat of their operations, but we don't, intend for them to look to us to be uh, their best TMS provider, their warehouse provider, their necessarily every customs application globally. Uh, We see integrating to best in class providers all over the world is really the answer. So you have a great deal of options as a midsize forwarder today. You can pick some off-the-shelf applications and use Chain.io and, and someone like Riga to integrate the two and be able to have a more competitive offering with a much higher level of customer service than a large forwarder. And you can do that much quicker uh, and jump on those opportunities. So the... Um... The prevailing wisdom of the 90s and even into the mid-2000s was 
one system to rule them all, right? So, you know, if we step away from forwarding software, if you were a large enterprise, you just, you bought SAP or you bought Oracle and you said, you're going to run my whole business. Do you think that that is no longer the wise path then? And that it, it is more about stitching together and, and why? Well, I do think it is stitching together, not only because it's our philosophy at, at, at Riga, but I think the tremendous investments that you're going to make at, at an enterprise level is so daunting that by the time it's implemented, your goal that you had intended is long gone, and, and now your your next goals have already been set and, and missed. The one-size-fits-all was an approach that largely was governed because of the, the lack of capability in, in integration. So, you know, we went from the mainframe to then they went to the land distributed architecture. And because of the inability to communicate effectively, they went back to, hey, buy one piece of software that does it all. And that was a valid argument. But ultimately, now because of the capabilities of application to application integrations uh, and the collaborative nature of the technologies that are out there, there's no reason to do that. I can buy, uh, we commonly talk about accounting software. We have competitors that, that include accounting with, with their forwarding software. We do all of our AP, AR, customer-facing activities through our application, but all of your corporate tax, your depreciation, all of those types of things, why would you want someone who writes forwarding software to supply you with software for those things? To be able to do that well and effectively in the 38 countries we do business in, it would not be very good software. When I can integrate to NetSuite or... QuickBooks or whatever application that might be used, Sage, for instance, they can pick the best in class application that fits their business enterprise and use that to exchange data with scope and be far ahead of the game. And that applies to rate management, BI, AI, blockchain, TMS providers, et cetera. Oh, I got through about 22 minutes without mentioning blockchain. So I think for two IT guys, and that's a, uh... We should, we should take credit for, for that record, right? <laughs> so, we broke that seal. Um, kind of, then I guess if, if now that we've, now that the word is out there, whether it's blockchain or AI, sort of what, what emerging techs are you particularly excited about or afraid of, or, or kind of what's, what's in your mind in the, in the emerging tech space? I really, uh, I'm a fan of AI um, because as a SAS provider of software, we are starting to house a tremendous amount of data and, and looking at that data and applying machine learning to that to not only give us some predictive analysis, but to give us a better understanding of, of what we do and how we do it. To me, that's very exciting because as we are collecting all this data and our customers are collecting all this data, we realize that there's value in that data. And there's a tremendous amount that we can learn in it. So I think that's, that's an exciting uh, aspect of, of what's coming about. Uh, blockchain, of course, I think we still need to find more applicable applications and forwarding for it. And there's a lot of questions about it still. But at the same time, um, the accountability and the requirements that we have in, in our industry, uh, I think 
more and more examples will will emerge for that technology. Don't be polite with this answer, but I'm curious on uh, on your opinion. You know where we've had some success with blockchain has been in our in our vault product, which is very small in scope. So it's just take a fingerprint of a document and store that on the blockchain for compliance purposes. You can look it up later. We're not trying to redefine global customs. We're not trying to collaborate between, you know, 15,000 parties on a, on a supply chain. Uh, do you think that with blockchain and, and even with AI that, you know, those narrow scope projects are, are better or should be pe- people be taking those home run swings? For us in our industry, I think the the small applications are where the money is. I think we're going to learn a lot from those. And of course, as we've talked about earlier, success compounds. When we find areas in which it will be effective and those are applied and that success is achieved, we'll learn more and, and be able to apply it. I think there are big companies out there that are applying it all over the place that have you know, the financial resource and the global reach to, you know, the IBMs and such of the world that can, can crunch, you know, billions of bytes of data daily on different topics. But all of those things will emerge over time and and the financial markets will push some of those things as well. But for us, finding small bytes of where I can apply this technology and see that work and then apply it and grow and learn from it, I think that's where we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck. Given that, sort of, what are you guys at Riga? What do you guys have coming up in the future, or you personally? What should we all be looking out for? Well, I think uh, our product scope, uh, it's a great forwarding application. I think we are someone that have been supplying forwarding software for 30 years. So while we understand the old, we're looking at, at the new as well. And because of the fundamental nature of the collaborative perspective, uh, in the way that we do business as, as well as the way that we deploy our software, I think we're really providing our our customers a lot of options that our competitors are not. And we really have a, a long-term collaborative approach with our customers. A very I know so many speak to the, the issue of partnerships, but our average customers are with us over 12 years. So we work with our customers for a long period of time to bring that enterprise-level success uh, generational after generation. And so as we apply the new technologies while covering all the old requirements, so to speak, we continue to have our applications evolve and, and meet the needs of our customers and, and the industry. Yeah, that's awesome. Any, uh, any further parting thoughts or uh, you think we're good to wrap up here? Oh, I think we're good. It's, it's always fun to talk about where the industry has been and where it's going. And, um, as we see it kind of roll out and some new players and entrants come into the market, it'll be interesting to see how these technologies uh, evolve. And I think we have to have a somewhat entrepreneurial look at it. Uh, so much of our industry are, are kind of wait until, you know, they're either required to from, you know, a, a compliance perspective or regulatory requirement uh, there are ways for people to examine and move forward into some of these areas in, in technology without uh, breaking the bank. And so my encouragement would be, you know, test the waters, get out and and, um, and try some things. That's, uh, I think that's awesome advice and a, and a great place to wrap up. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. 
So that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much to Mark for taking the time to join us. I think we all learned a lot from his industry insights. And join us again next time as we continue to explore the people that make the supply chains work. 